Brian Lowen. Welcome to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today, uh, the movie was a film from 2001, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, this was a movie that I had not actually seen until now, and Craig was extremely surprised. Yeah, <laughs> and it was my turn to pick this week, and this is one that we've been talking about for a while, and I, I you know, it's a 15, 16-year-old movie. I can't believe you haven't seen it. Um, so what'd you think? You know, it's always been on my list, um, but I didn't really know anything about it, and I think in the end that turned out to be a good thing. Um, uh-huh. I, yeah, I, I guess I just sort of missed it when it came out. You know, I think this was the time when I, would, I had moved overseas. And so about any movie from 2001 to 2003 that was American, um, if it wasn't like, uh, I think, Lord of the Rings or one of the Harry Potter movies, um, we didn't probably get it over in Japan at that time. Well, that makes sense. But yeah, this movie was interesting. And I think maybe the best way to go into it is to not know anything about it because it <laughs> it really is kind of bold and it goes in some directions you wouldn't imagine, but... You know, you kind of think it's going to be like a lot of horror movies where it holds a lot of its cards close to its chest. And it does that for about the first half of the movie. But then for the second half of the movie, it just lays them all out on the table. Yeah. I, when I saw this, I didn't know much about it either. And I think that it must say something about their marketing campaign because I remember it was kind of a big deal when it came out. Um, but uh, when I first saw it, I didn't know until, I don't know, like you said, probably halfway through the movie that it was... a a monster movie. Um, I thought it was a crazy road killer movie. Uh, and I thought that was, it was, I, I found it really, really creepy uh, in the first half um, in part because I thought, you know, this feasibly could happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, later on when uh, it's revealed to actually be a uh, kind of a monster movie, I thought that that was, I don't know, not completely unexpected, but uh, I didn't necessarily see it coming. And then it didn't get hokey from that point. You know, it still, it just went in a direction I didn't expect. And then I thought that it was still pretty effectively scary throughout. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good description of how it went for me too. And uh, well, I mean, the movie starts out with Justin Long, and I think this is one of his first films. I think he'd only done Galaxy uh-huh. Quest before this, but was this? But this was about the time he was doing the Mac and PC commercials, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it was kind of neat to see him on the screen, um, looking pretty young. He still looks pretty young. <laughs> True. And. Um, he opens up driving across the country, uh, and it's a rather long scene of the two of, of mm-hmm. him and his sister talking. They're in this classic car, and they're driving across nothing. It's like driving through Kansas, um, where there's just right. a road, and there's absolutely nobody else coming from the other direction. At one point, they get behind a a, tr- a camper, uh, and they pass it, and that's like the only other car they see for most of the movie. And they're just chatting. They're chatting. It's clear that... He has picked her up from school, I think. He's picked her up from from her – she's in university, and uh, they're going back. Yeah, or or maybe they go to the same university. I'm not sure. He says something about um, he lives on campus and she lives off campus. So uh, I don't know if they go to the same school or they go to nearby schools or whatever, but they've come back together to to take the trip home. Yeah, and you know, I found this banter to be really charming. I guess it's just interesting enough that – you don't sit there and tap your foot and go, okay, where, when's the movie going to start? Because this movie doesn't really start with a jump scare or some kind of right. you know, projection of the future, horrible things that are happening. Like a lot of horror films do, they try to grab you in the first few minutes with something like that. And, and this doesn't have that, which is also pretty unusual. Yeah, and I just thought that it did a really good job in the very beginning of establishing not only kind of, um, you know, I say isolated only because, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I guess this was filmed in Florida and and the director, Victor Salva, um, really kind of wanted it to look not as beautiful as the actual Florida landscape looks like. So they ended up doing a lot of shading and stuff to kind of dull the colors and things. Um, But it worked really well because, you know, you and I are both, you know, from the Midwest and it felt very much, you know, it felt very familiar. It felt like the countryside that we could drive through at any given moment uh, here in the Midwest. And then the, uh, yeah. And then the, the, the two main actors who were introduced to, like you said, Justin Long plays Derry um, and Gina Phillips plays Trisha and their brother and sister. 
And like you said, it's charming. And I just thought that they did a really good job of establishing a very believable brother sister relationship. You know, they're, they're, teasing one another they're picking on one another but they're also playful and they're playing games like you know they're competitive they're you know trying to beat each other figuring out you know what vanity plates mean gay gay fever no gay forever gay forever that's mine that's three for little bros that's a six not a g you idiot that's sexy forever that's mine that's five to two Gay fever. I just found the relationship between the two to be really, really believable from the very beginning. And I think that it needed to be because we're with these two for the whole movie. <laughs> like yeah. the, they, those, these two are on screen the whole time. If their relationship wasn't believable, if their acting was poor, um, I, I, I think it would have just sunk the movie altogether. Yeah, you needed to like them. You needed to enjoy spending time with them. And I really did. They didn't overplay it at all. It, it really worked. The chemistry worked, and that's really a pretty good testament to the writing and the acting right. as well. And the fact that, again, there's nothing else to distract you in this movie. It's We've had that experience, two people sitting in a car, making conversation uh, as they're going across the country. And uh, he's got a bag of laundry in the back, and she's talking about how it smells when she goes back to get something. And she pulls down an air freshener and tucks it in there, <laughs> which which – I I want to talk about later because I'm wondering if there's some significance to that. The the cinematography played that up a little bit, and then later on, you know, we do find out that maybe uh-huh. that's a little important. Uh, but I didn't quite catch it. So anyway, as they're driving along, and after they pass that van, after a while, and this is another thing I thought the movie did really well, and that was bring things up in the background. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. create that sense of tension where. Yeah, these two people are talking, but hey, I just noticed that there's something a little blurry approaching them from the back. It's after right. they pass that RV, yeah, that uh, in the background, you just kind of notice that it turns off the road, and there's something else coming up behind it, too. But it takes a long time to get there, and in the meantime, they're talking. By the time it gets behind them, it's this very weird-looking vehicle. It's it's like a big truck that's been kind of souped up, and it's grungy and rusty-looking. Um, and it gets very aggressive with them. It's like it's trying to pass them, and they're kind of freaking out, um, and it won't pass them, and they're moving to try to let it pass, but then it's getting behind them. It almost seems for a minute like it's trying to run them off the road. Yeah, and it's a really – it's it's a scary-looking vehicle. Like, I have no idea what it would have originally been intended for, like some sort of farm truck or something. I mean it's it's bigger than your typical – you know, truck that you see on the road, but not as big as like, you know, a big rig. Um, but just the way that, you know, it's all rusted out and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a scary and the truck I think in this movie is almost kind of a character in itself, or at least an extension of, um, the main antagonist. And it's really spooky. Like you said, you have a better eye than I did because I didn't even, the first time I saw it, I didn't even see it coming at them until it was right behind them and it honked its horn and they were super startled and it got me too because I was engaged in what they were talking about I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in the background and then it was just there out of nowhere and I jumped probably as much as as the characters did um and yeah, so then, uh, you know, it finally eventually goes uh, around them. And of course, they're kind of freaked out. You know, what was that? What was that all about? Um, but they don't think much more um, about it, except for they, it reminds um, Trish that this road is kind of notorious. Um, she remembers a story, and it, it's unclear if it's kind of like an urban legend or if it happened at their you know, high school or what, um, but uh, a couple, a high school couple who had been going to a dance or something, um, their car was found alongside the road, um, but their bodies weren't found, or maybe parts of their bodies were found, but not all of it. Um, and, and she says something, and you know, in hindsight, it's a little hokey, but she says, you know, every time I heard that story, it always made me think this would be the highway that I would die on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit clunky, that line as far as writing goes. But uh, it does, you know, at least give you some indication that maybe, you know, there's something going on uh, in this area or on this particular road. And, and it just so happens that this couple who's been playing this license plate game, that this truck also has a license plate. And if you sound it out, it looks like it's, a, it's a beating you. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
And, you know, this movie reminds me so much, at least at this point, of Duel. Have you ever seen Duel? I haven't. It's um, it's one of Steven Spielberg's very first films. I think it might have been made for TV, but it's a fantastic movie, and it's one of those, like you said, um, road uh, terrorizer kind of films where mm-hmm. you see this big semi-tractor trailer that's just antagonizing this person, but you never see the driver. And that's right. kind of how it is, at least at first, with this guy. Um, you know it's going to be significant later on because you know what kind of a movie you're watching. And then right. later on, as they're talking, um, they drive past a, what looks like, at first, an old, run-down, abandoned house that's just far enough off the road that you can see that that big truck is there. And you can see this figure that's dressed kind of menacingly in, in what looks like large leather overcoat or something and a hat. And he's yeah, he almost looks like a gunslinger or something. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and he's taking these what look like wrapped bodies out of the back of the truck and tossing it down this – again, it's so weird, this big pipe that's sticking mm-hmm. angularly out of the ground behind this building. And it's so strange. And again, it's – it's just very reminiscent of these, yeah, this, this guy lives in this house here, and these are the people he's just killed, and he's out in the country. And they, as they're driving by, they notice, and they're like, oh, my gosh, are those bodies? Are those bodies? And as they're craning their heads out the window and passing, this guy just stands and looks at them. And watches them drive past, yeah. Yeah, it's so creepy. And you know, oh, they're targets now. Yet you just cannot right. get a very good look of this guy, but you know that he's menacing because he still looks yeah. menacing from yards. You know. The uh, the camera never zooms in on him. It's always, you know, kind of from their perspective. They can, And he's in all black, so, you know, you can't really see any detail. He's almost just kind of like a silhouette. But the other thing that I thought was so effective here is that it's broad daylight. Like, this is in the middle of the day. Yes. And, and they, you know, they're on a highway. Maybe, you know, it's rural or whatever, but they're, you know, driving by on the highway. And this guy is just almost casually pulling what clearly appear to be bodies wrapped up in a sheet and just tossing them down there, you know, right out in the open. And, you know, they just so happen to drive by and yeah, just that menacing stare. I mean, he turns and just watches them. Um, His, his, it's almost like his whole body kind of turns to follow them as they go by. And it's so creepy. (laughs) I just thought it just gives me the willies. uh, Cause again, hopefully in real life you would never see something like that but every once in a while you know maybe you drive by some scene or you just catch a glimpse of something that just doesn't seem right and it's really unsettling uh and and i i think i was able to relate to it which is what made it so effective yeah and again it's that what the, what the filmmaker victor salva does so well in in this film and in others is just in the background kind of out of focus these things are happening and and the fact, like you said, that it's daylight, I've always said uh, in horror films, if you can make the horror happen during the day, um, it's just ten times more creepy. Uh, to me, it's like right up on par with using children's voices, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if it's in the day, um, it's pretty scary because it just sets you off kilter and it maybe puts a little more in the real life for you. And Well, and I think something – so something else that it does well in that moment is that it's not just, oh, here's the menacing stare. Like, you know, that could have happened, then they could have driven along and been like, ooh, that was creepy. But no, I mean, he he watches them go by, but then he immediately gets into his big truck and starts chasing them again. And so, you know, we know that he saw them. We know that he's kind of after them or whatever. Um, And he runs them off uh, the road, um, which is where then they start to debate about what they should do next. You know, Derry thinks that they need to go back you know they they both agree that those sure looked like bodies um and trish doesn't want to go back you know and and I, I again they have these conversations that feel very real because usually in movies like this they don't have those conversations they just go back because of course they're going to it's a horror movie mm-hmm. um but here you know trish is like you're crazy why would we go back um and but he convinces her and they do go back and they look down the tube you know Derry calls down there he doesn't hear anything and we're seeing it from the perspective of down in the bottom of the tube so we're just seeing you know Derry kind of framed in this circle of light when he's called down there he doesn't get any response he moves out of that circle of light for just a second and you just very faintly hear some kind of moaning or something from down 
uh, wherever that tube leads. Uh, and he hears it too. And so he wants to check it out. He gets a flashlight and he, he starts to crawl in there. And it's maybe my favorite line from the whole movie. Um, Trish says, okay, You know the part in scary movies where somebody does something really stupid and everybody hates them for it? This is it. <laughs> and, and I just thought that was so clever because nobody does ever question that, you know, uh, in in the movies. And that kind of, you know, self-reference in that um, in-joke, uh, I thought it was really funny. And it didn't come off as, as cornball or hokey. Um, it just felt kind of natural and something that might run through my head uh, given that circumstance. Well, and something that's kind of messed up but then works um, for their motivation for going back is the fact that he runs them off the road, but he keeps going. You, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, he's, he's going to be taking them down and there's going to be a chase, but he just seems to want to run them off the road, and then he totally takes off. So they feel, in a sense, they feel like there's a giant net of safety underneath them, that this guy's right. you know, clearly not after them after them, at least not yet, um, and so they can go back and they can spend a little time. Um, doing this exploration that's ultimately I wouldn't do in a million years, but no, <laughs> but they do. But you still have, of course, that feeling like, man, this guy could come back any minute now. This guy could come uh-huh. back any minute now, and and he never does. Right. So anyway, yeah, they're they're going. She's he wants to get a better look. They pull out a flashlight. He's like hanging down the tube and asks her to hold his feet. And you know this isn't going to end well. And oh right, it's, right. It's rats that scare him, and he starts <laughs> kicking and slides down the tube and ends up in the bottom. And this is another part that I thought was really interesting. It's nothing. I don't think I've quite seen anything like this before, where he starts exploring this underground little lair. He comes across the body. The body, he kicks a little bit and it moves. So he tears it open. And there, sure enough, is an almost dead uh, young person in there, guy. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of tries to say something. And I don't think he, if he manages to get something out, it's unintelligible. Right. And uh, Justin Long's character, D- D- Derry. Was it right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Opens up, uh, tears open the cloth that's wrapped around him, and sees that some his chest has been um, very crudely sewn up, like you might sew up a scarecrow. And obviously, right. something's been taken out of it, and then this guy just totally dies. And what I haven't seen in a movie like this is that at first, when he's looking around, he can't see everything because it's totally dark. But as the scene goes on. We, even as the audience, start to see more things just in the same way that your eyes adjust to the light in a dark room. Yep. You know, as your eyes adjust Mm -hmm. to the light in a dark room, gradually you can see more things. And pretty soon it's like as long as there's just a little bit of light in there, you don't need a flashlight. And that happens to us as he's kind of walking around. There's some things he's shining his flashlight on he's kind of seeing. But then the background to us slowly becomes a little more visible, a little more visible until you can see there's definitely something creepy in the background. And that's about the time that he turns around and sees it himself. And that is right. And I thought that part was exactly like you said, you know, the fact that it's it just kind of slowly, slowly comes into focus so that we, the viewers, maybe notice something in the background. But you're asking yourself, what is that? There's something weird. What something weird is going on in the background? Um, And then when it becomes clear, then it's really grotesque and horrifying. Yeah, it's bodies. Um, and, And at first, again, they look like maybe just mannequins that are mm-hmm. like glued to the ceiling and to the walls and in all these different positions and things. Definitely creepy. But then um, he notices that uh, there are these very prominent bodies kind of right in front of him at one point. And it's a girl that has had her head sewn back on who's conjoined uh, to a guy and literally conjoined. They've been sewn together mm-hmm. and, their hand, they're holding hands, and he sees the ring on the hand and puts two and two together. It's, it's a class ring and puts two and two together that this is the girl they were talking about earlier who had died on this road, right. who had lost her head. And he goes, he sewed it back on and runs back to the thing and says, we need to get out of here and yells up to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> he can't get back up the pipe. But then they have this interesting exchange, and, and this is 
the point where she's like, what's going on? What's going on? He's just like, go get help. Go to the road. Find a flag down a person you can for help. And if that guy comes back, please run back here. And she's like, well, how are you going to get out? And he says, well, this – and it turns out that this is an old church that they're behind. He said, I'm sure I'm in the basement of this church. I'll find a way out. And that turns out to be a pretty easy task for him. Now, what's yeah. weird about this and what's very unsettling about it is that we as, a, as an audience immediately can recognize that if this happened in 1978, I think, was when this death of this mm-hmm. girl on this road was supposed to happen, these bodies look extremely fresh. Yeah, and I, that's never really explained. And there are some things that go unexplained. You know, like he says, um, I can get my way. It's a basement. I'll find my way out. We never actually see him do that. He just appears out later. Um, well, uh, and, and, and same thing here. The, uh, the bodies, like you said, at first they almost look like mannequins. And they're clearly props, I would assume, unless it was, you know, it was actors in really, really heavy makeup. Um, but they look almost plasticized. And later... Derry and Trish talk to the police and explain what happened, and the police ask the exact same question. You know, if, if it's who you say it was, you know, that was 20-some years ago. They wouldn't be anything but bones. And he says, yeah, but I grabbed one of them, and it was hard, like it had been preserved some way. Um, and that's all we get. That's the only explanation we get. We don't know how, a, a, at least as far as I remember, you know, we don't really get an explanation. It's just that somehow – um, they've been preserved, and it's almost like artwork. Like uh, uh, yeah, Derry, I think at one point calls it like some sort of messed up Sistine Chapel or That's something, right. and and that is very much what it looks like. <laughs> That's right. That was a great line too. And and you're right. And not only do we not get the explanation, but we don't even ever really get a clear sense of why this this um, thing would be preserving these bodies either. Mm-mm. There's just no connection at all. Um, which is interesting. It, I guess it adds a little to the mystery without explaining it. Also allows you to have some gruesome props, I suppose. <laughs> right, right. But just as but then comes a really another really great scene, and that is her standing by the road waiting for a vehicle to come. And of course, we haven't seen any vehicles for a long time. The whole time they've been driving, the whole time they've been there, and slowly in the background, out of focus, are two headlights that appear to be coming from a truck. And they're getting closer and closer and closer, and she's just completely staring in the opposite direction. You're like, turn around, turn around, turn around. Right. Oh my gosh, it's coming <laughs> on you. When she does turn around, she freaks out too, and she jumps in her car, and she tries to start it into stick shift, and she, she, they're perennial. They're always having trouble with the stick shift. She's just grinding the gears like she doesn't know how to <laughs> yeah. drive. I don't know why this girl is driving a manual transmission, because she is not good <laughs> at it at all. And the whole, every time, like seriously, every single time she's in a hurry, she's just grinding grinding those gears. I'm like, this car is not going to make it through this movie if you keep grinding the gears like that. She even makes a, po- she makes a point of it later and says something like, I don't know how much longer this car is going to last. And I'm like, well, of course it's not going to last any longer. You're the owner. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but then the car whiz- the truck whizzes by and it turns out not to be the truck, which... <laughs> Which is like like a double whammy. It's like, oh, it wasn't the truck, and it's oh, that was probably the one person you could have flagged down to save you. Right, right. (laughs) Oh, but it it turns out to not matter, right? Because he comes out and he finds her. Right, and he's clearly like traumatized, and he can't even speak, Um, and and that freaks her out. Um, And they're driving along, and she's trying to get him to talk, but he he he. can't or won't, uh, which is, you know, understandable based on what he has seen. Um, but she looks down and notices that they're almost out of gas. So they have to stop and they stop at this little roadside diner slash gas station, um, which is surprisingly populated because it seems to be out in the middle of nowhere. And yet it's full of patrons. Um, and again, this is one of those, one of those times where the movie kind of um, went against my expectations because they walked in and I expected it to be that typical, you know, walking into the local bar and everybody looks at you and it's very sinister and people know what's going on. Um, but it wasn't. Everybody does turn to look at them because they draw attention to themselves as soon as they come in. Um, but uh, instead of being sinister, instead, they're actually, you know, helpful. They they call the police for them and, and whatnot. Yeah, and that really subverts your expectations there. You you I mean, almost up until the very end, I was wondering, do these do these townspeople know a little more than they're letting on? And they don't right. really act like it, but they're just so stunned by this couple that they act like stunned people would act. They 
They, they yeah. kind of don't know what to do. And, and that can either be, again, um, something sinister or just stunned people. And in this case, it turns out mm-hmm. to be stunned people. <laughs> right. But, but the phone rings. There's a pay phone on the wall, which tells you this was back in 2001. There's a pay phone yeah. on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it immediately rings uh, while brother and sister having this argument. And after – and. And after like a minute or two of this phone ringing, one of the patrons in the bar just like is, says, are, are you going to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> and so he does. And it turns out to be this creepy call from this woman this time. And she seems to – it's almost like she's watched the movie up until this point and, and maybe right. seen a little ahead. Um, she knew that they were there. She knew she could call them on the phone and get them. Have you seen the cats yet? You and your brother. Me and my brother. You and Derry. I saw you with lots of cats. Who the hell is this? How, how do you know Derry? Who is this? Derry? Huh? You know the cats I'm talking about? Who is this? You have a torn shirt, right? And a bloody hand. Shirt's torn just above a small rose tattoo on your stomach. Who is this? How the hell do you know us? You found its house of pain. The what? Those bodies down there. That's what it likes to call it. It's house of pain. And if you hear this song, uh, you're you don't have much longer to live. And the song is playing in the background, and she you, it, it flashes back. It kind of um, the camera moves back to what is the per, the like the living room of the person who's actually calling, although they never mm-hmm. show us the caller. But then as it pans across the room, it has this old-fashioned stereo with an old-fashioned record player playing there and this album called Jeepers Creepers sitting there and that music in the background, that classic Jeepers Creepers song. And she holds mm-hmm. the phone up to the speaker so that he can hear that song. And I think he freaks out and hangs up the phone. So she she seems to know something about what's going on but but again she's you know just talking in kind of cryptic phrases um and she does she plays the song for him and says if you hear this run this song means something really bad for you um and uh, you know he's freaked out i you know i think he calls her a bitch and hangs up the phone um and so then they just he he walks to the window and says let's just talk to the cops and get out of here and that's when the cops come and, you know, we don't actually see them recount the whole story, which is great. We know what happened. We don't need to hear it again. Um, but he tells the cops the story and, uh, you know, they're, of course, skeptical as they should be. Um, well, and even his sister but is he, skeptical. And that's an interesting right. point in there, too. I mean, she just sees he's freaked out and she wonders, you know, he did fall. Did How hard did you hit your head? Uh, and that was a good right. point, too, for her to show a little bit of skepticism because it does call into question mm-hmm. this whole story. And then again, for us in some way, you know, we also question maybe if he saw what he saw, especially those bodies being so well preserved. That's the thing that, for me anyway, was the detail that threw me into even questioning his narrative. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and but so and he's upset, you know. He's he wants he. In fact, I, I think if I remember correctly, he grabs her and says, "Tell me you believe me," and and she won't. Um, and again, Salva does such a good job here of things happening in the background that you're not paying attention to because your attention is directed elsewhere. But while they're kind of having this argument, while he's talking to the cops, if you pay attention in the background, all the other restaurant patrons patrons are standing up and moving towards the front of the restaurant. Um, and after, I don't know, 30 seconds or so, um, the waitress at the restaurant comes running over to them and says, Hey kids, isn't that your car out there? And they say, yeah. And, um, so they all run out there and the waitress says, there was some guy standing outside your car. He had picked up big handfuls of the laundry out of the back seat, and he was just sniffing it. And she kind of disgustingly says, or disgustedly says, um, and it seemed like he was liking it too. Derry believes that this is the guy. That um, something that we didn't mention is when they stopped at the diner, the truck went by again, going back um, towards the church. Um, and and so they're confused. They don't understand how it could have gotten to the church and gotten back, you know, to sniff his laundry or whatever. Um, but obviously, that's troubling, regardless of 
who this guy is or whatever, somebody sniffing your dirty laundry. I mean, that's just gross. Um, and, uh, you know, and Derry's picking up his laundry off the floor or the ground, apparently when it's been dropped and he picks up a pair of underwear and you see that his name is written in it. And he's like, and he knows my name too. And I'm like, well, that serves you right for being a 20 something with your name written in your underwear. So, <laughs> 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 that, that bit was hilarious, and uh, and so the cops decide clearly something is a little weird, and so they're going to send uh, they they apparently call ahead and have somebody go and investigate the church. They get in the car, their car, and uh, Derry and his sister get in their car, and there's a small mini caravan out, just just the two of them out to the church and it's this is really well shot i think because we start out with Derry and his sister and they're driving and they're talking and the camera is shooting sort of through the window and we don't realize the cops are following them quite yet and then the camera pans slowly backwards and uh, dollies back to the cops and sh- starts shooting through their window where the cops are talking and they're discussing this. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a neat way of kind of showing us, oh, yeah, they, they have some company here. A really interesting method of cinematography, I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this is where the movie, just like the film we watched uh, la- uh, just like the film we watched two weeks ago, is so bold. And I wasn't expecting this level of bold where something jumps on the roof of the cop's car. And Mm -hmm. the brother and sister don't notice it because they're talking and even arguing in the car in front, and they're not really looking behind them. And it's nighttime. uh, But the cops notice it, and the one cop, uh, the female cop who's in the passenger side, rolls down the window and leans out and is immediately pulled up and out of the car. And the male cop, before he can kind of figure out what's going on, a hand punches down through the roof and makes a big hole in the roof and pulls his head up through it. And then we see this character standing on top of the car. Again, we can't get a really good look at his face, but we can see that he's holding this cop's head and raises a giant, it's like a mini axe. It's very decorative. And hocks the the cop's head off. I really uh-huh. didn't expect the movie to get that bold where we would have just an outright attack by this guy. Because, again, right. I'm expecting what typically happens in this movie is they arrive at the site and it's picked clean and you know there's no evidence and they're still questioning their motives. And, I'm again, I'm still imagining this except for those little details of how why is he getting to where he's getting so fast. I'm still just imagining this creepy guy who, who exactly. is, is out killing people. Yeah, up till this point, you just think it's a creepy guy in a creepy truck, um, and uh, all of a sudden it just – and you're kind of lulled into this sense of security because they've got a police escort. You know, mm-hmm. like the cops are right there with them. You don't expect there to be such imminent danger right there. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, I loved the cinematography too because um, when we see that it's – the guy standing on top of the moving car and there's no explanation for how he could have gotten there. You know, they're going down the highway at high speeds. Um, but we, you know, it, it cuts back to Derry and Trish and we're looking at them from the front. And so if you just look be- behind them and between them through the back windshield, you can see the guy standing there, but they, you know, they have no idea until the head of the cop lands on their uh, the hood of the car and kind of rolls back up off the car. Um, and of course, you know, they panic and, uh, both their car and the cop car come to screeching halts, uh, in the middle of the road. Um, and Trish and Derry get out, uh, to investigate and, uh, Trish is moving towards the car. She, you know, it appears that there's somebody in the car and she's asking if they're okay. Um, but as she comes a little bit more around the side of the car, she sees the police officer's head, um, severed head on the ground. And so she backs up a little bit and the guy, the scary guy gets out of the cop car. And this is really where we get the reveal and where we realize this isn't just some guy, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. this, this is some, this is something that they are dealing with. Um, and again, you don't get it's not like it's a you know a real real clear shot but you can tell that this 
man is monstrous you know is his head is, is you know it's not human it's it's somewhat human like but um his skin is like gray and blue and almost oh gosh i don't know reptilian kind of almost and um he picks up the head, and this is all set against this dimly lit uh, uh, <laughs> billboard. Um, and he picks up the head, and he's you know just sniffing, taking big sniffs of the head. And eventually, it almost looks like he's kissing it, like he's making out with this head. And one of them, either Trish or Derry, says, "What is he doing?" And the guy starts, or the bad guy starts pulling the head away from him and he's bit the tongue between his lip or between his teeth and is ripping the tongue out um and so we know now we are in this kind of movie <laughs> you know they're up <laughs> yeah. against they're up against a monster <laughs> yeah even this scene is a little funny because the billboard that it's shot against appears to be like an advertisement for meat <laughs> or like a butcher <laughs> shop or something <laughs> i'm like wow that's like that was an interesting touch yeah so that yeah. happens and and now they're, we know they're in real danger. We know this is clearly some superhuman figure, and uh, he can pretty much do what he wants. And he doesn't need the truck uh, to advertise his presence, and yet we don't know how he got there. We're really not clear of his abilities, but we know that he likes to eat these things. They take off down the road just a little ways, um, and eventually they stop right in the middle of the road in front of this house. Um, and, and Trish says, you know, there's got to be a phone in there. Um, so they go up to this house and there's all these cats there. So again, it comes back to this connection. So whoever that was on the phone knew that they were going to encounter this place with all these cats. Um, and there's this crazy cat lady. Um, it's a great cameo by Eileen Brennan, uh, who you would recognize from a million things, but I always remember her as Mrs. Peacock from Clue. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get her to let them use the phone and, you know, she's crazy old cat lady and whatever. Um, and then the creeper, uh, the, the bad guy arrives there. And, um, at first he kind of is standing in front of the, uh, scarecrow. So he looks like the scarecrow and they make a lot more use of that imagery in the sequel too. Um, but he kills the cat lady. The brother and sister get in the car. They try to drive away. Of course, they're still having trouble with the car. And as they get on the road, he lands in front of them and so she decides that she's going to try to run him over and we know how great she is at shifting right <laughs> <laughs> but anyway as she drives towards him he does that where he just leaps on top of the car and kind of runs over it like a mm -hmm. stunt man and uh and it happens a second time but the third time she tries to run over him I think she does it kind of fast, or he's a, they're a little closer. For some reason, she ends up well, knocking him down. I think she's being sneaky. Like uh, the first two times, she had kind of you know given him not given him warning intentionally, but you know there was some you know she was racing towards him. He had the time to prep for it. Um, on this last time that you're talking about, I think that she kind of fakes messing with the clutch or having problems with the clutch until he gets pretty close and then she throws it into gear and goes really fast so she gets him down on the ground she gets him down on the ground and it's kind of funny actually uh that she runs over him and clearly runs over him uh the mm -hmm. car raises and you could see him um, on the ground being run over and then she backs up and does it again and then she goes forward and does it again and each time you're seeing things break apart on this guy and you're thinking wow, mm -hmm. I, I mean it doesn't seem like they should have killed him, but this guy's got to be dead. You think he's dead? They never are. It just keeps going back, and you see him getting, you know, ground into the road. Um, and eventually, when they kind of stop, um, they're looking, and we can see, like, one of his legs has been severed off like I mean, he's clearly in bad bad shape but then here was another really cool thing you know as he's they're sitting there looking at him and he, he's seemingly dead but then he just kind of starts to twitch a little bit and then out of nowhere pops up from his back this enormous wing um and it looks like uh, a bat wing uh and you know i just even though i knew okay we're dealing with some kind of monster or whatever it's just you know a, a little surprise that I didn't see coming and it looked really cool when it happened. I'm like, Oh man, this thing, 
what else can this thing do? You know, what is this guy? Uh, and it was just a really cool image. So after that happens, she runs over him yet again, uh, and they take off uh, down the road. Yeah, and the wing comes out, and it twitches a little bit. It's almost like it's trying to fly away, and then it bends down and falls. It's like a dying insect, um, which almost further... It's almost like, okay, this guy really is dead. At least leans, lends credibility to that uh, that theory anyway when you're watching the movie. And you do get lulled into this sense that, okay, well, maybe he's dead, but but maybe there are more of them or something else. Uh, right, I'm right. I'm sure what to make of it at that point. But there was a part of me that thought maybe that threat had been neutralized. Right. Yeah, you wonder. And then again, you know, they get to the police station. They get to a police station. You know, they call their parents and, and, you know, Trisha's like, don't worry about us. You don't have to come here. You know, by the time you got here, we could already be home. And so except for the fact that we're really only about an hour into the movie, you're thinking, well, it's over. Um, But then while they're there in the police station, this – lady shows up, you know, kind of a a middle-aged black lady shows up, um, and it turns out that this is the woman who called them on the phone. And the cop in the cop station says, oh, yeah, this lady, you know, she thinks she's our resident psychic, you know, don't pay her any attention or whatever. Um, And she says to them, uh, to uh, Darian Trish, she says, I don't care if you believe I'm a psychic. I don't, I don't care what you believe, but I want to tell you this. Um, and she basically just says that she has dreams and sometimes her dreams reveal things to her. And she says she's seen his house of pain, you know, that place with all the bodies. She's seen it in her dreams. And then she kind of gives us really the only information about the backstory of this thing that we get. She says every 23rd spring for 23 days, it gets to eat. And she says it eats lungs so it can breathe and it eats eyes so it can see um and she says you all may have heard it and you may have heard it as badly as that can be hurt but it's not dead and all it has to do is eat to regenerate itself um and as she's telling this story we cut to outside and we see the truck pull up to the police station and the feet you know come down uh, on the outside of the car and, and we see the creeper um, hobbling his way into the police station uh, and then we cut back into the police station and all the lights go out. The power goes out, the phones are out and you know at this point that we're probably gearing up for what's going to be the, the finale. And that's again what's so weird about this is again where this movie really subverts your expectations. I was not expecting the movie to end up with this kind of a finale where undoubtedly now everybody realizes that there's something terrible and it's almost like rallying the troops in order to defeat it, kind of like an alien invasion movie, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's not at all like your again your typical horror films like this where they, they first they don't believe them, and then things happen, but they happen off camera. They happen before the cops can get there, and so people still don't believe them. No, they know the place is under attack because this thing enters in the basement, and uh, <laughs> the one cop goes downstairs uh, while the lights are out to get all the the prisoners, I guess. I mean, for such a small little town. He, he's doing a roll call. Yeah, he's doing a roll call. And for such a tiny little town uh, with – the diner sure is full, and uh, the, their little prison <laughs> in their county jail yeah. or, or, like, in their police office is so packed with people. <laughs> right. right. And, uh, I sure thought it was enough, funny, too. It was hilarious. But what was really crazy was, like, he's panning across the prisoners, and he's like, you're here, yep, you're here, there. You wake up, blah, blah, blah. He comes to this last set of prisoners, and they're just, like, against the wall terrified. <laughs> and they're looking over at him, and they, they motion in front of them. <laughs> He pans over, and there the bars of the prison of the cell have been totally bent in and opened up, and there is the back of this creature. There are no clothes on it anymore, and you can see its wings kind Mm -hmm. of folded up in there, and it's all scaly and gross, and it's clearly eating one of the other prisoners. Mm -hmm. And immediately, you know, he calls over the radio, something bad's going on down here, it's coming up, and so the police upstairs uh, gather together and start slowly approaching the stairway to the downstairs. In the meantime, the psychic lady is trying to get Justin and his sister, or Justin, <laughs> Darren, and D- Derry and his sister out of there. Um, she's like, we shouldn't be sticking around. Uh, and I know, I know the way out. And so she kind of goes right. in a different direction. 
to try to uh, to get them out of the police station. The psychic lady, she says to them, you know, we've got to get you out of here because I've seen this. He finds you here. Um, so we've got to get you out of here. And so she takes them. I don't know where she's taking them at. She's trying to find a back door or whatever. Meanwhile, the cops are dealing with the creeper. You know, we're hearing a conversation over walkie talkies. Um, there's a group of police downstairs and they're saying, this guy, you know, nothing hurts him. He's got, uh, he must have some weird body armor or something. And and he says, oh, we lost him. We lost him. He's, he's crawling on the walls and he's headed up your way and so the uh the cops who are upstairs are waiting looking around um and finally it you know it does appear it kills one of the cops um and uh then um we get back to Derry and trish and the psychic who have gotten to the back door only to find that because the electricity has gone out all the automatic locks have locked. Um, so they're stuck there and, and they're, you know, just kind of, you know, they don't know what to do. They're, they're bantering back and forth. You know, Trish is blaming the psychic and she says, I don't know everything. You know, I, I just trying to get you out of here. And then we see, uh, the creeper pop his head up around the, from around the corner in the hallway. Um, and he scurries like you said, he's not wearing any clothes anymore. So he's just full out creature. And he scurries along the wall. Derry and Trish take off running and the psychic kind of drops to her knees and starts to pray. And when she opens her eyes and looks up, it looks like it has gone by her, but then it pops up behind her and grabs her by the hair and kind of pulls her hair back. And it gives her a great big sniff. And then it just takes off and leaves her alone and goes off looking for Derry and Trish. Um, and they have made their way into like an interrogation room or something. They don't know what to do. Um, Trish is standing, you know, she's looking in this big mirror, which then we get to see from the other side. It's actually a two way mirror. And there's kind of a cool scene where she's on the side of it that you can't see through. And the creepers on the side of it that you can, and he's kind of sniffing her through the mirror. And she doesn't realize that she's mere centimeters away um, from this monster. Um, but then uh, it breaks through the window and it grabs the both of them and it's sniffing them both. And you don't know what's going to happen because the psychic told them that it just wants one of them. There's one of them that it wants and they don't know which one it is. So, so I remember the first time seeing it, not knowing, you know, is it, is it going to take them both? Is it going to be indiscriminate? Um, does it really want one of them? If so, which one and why? And, and why? Um, right, right. That's the big question because you're you're all you're always looking for a motive, right? Okay, yeah, it it wants people and it, it eats to regenerate, but why is it has it honed in on these two? Is it just because right. they've disturbed him? Um, maybe that's the case. But then when the psychic talks about, you know, everything that the psychic says, every, things seem a little intentional um, that he selected. The, the, one of them somehow and it's like what does he want and what does he want from them and there is that implication that maybe it's actually the girl and even though we think he's mad at the guy for going down in the lair that maybe it's actually right. the girl he wants and then you're thinking well is there something historic are we going to get some crazy twist I know my mind was going in about 15 different directions while this was happening and I was, right. I was hoping for a big reveal and uh, the cops are standing there uh, as well, holding guns out at them, ready to shoot. I mean, there's no question that this is a demon. And just to make it absolutely apparent, uh, there's a point where they shine a light on him, and the demon like recoils back and, as though threatened, kind of like the uh, dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. The ones that spit yeah. uh, acid. Um, like, these parts, these... I don't even know what to call them. Just like a flare thing from his face opens up. Yeah. It, it actually yeah. reminded me of Predator. You know, I was thinking Yes, Predator. yes. And, a uh, lot like that, yeah. And he kind of hisses like he's a creature that's being um, – Oh, no, I was going to say, I know it is, but it, it's it's exactly what you said. It's almost like, you know, um, defensive, you know, rearing up to show his scariest visage um, because he literally is cornered. Um, but at, by this point, he has sniffed them both. He's licked Trish's face. I mean, it's all very tense and, and creepy, um, but he throws Trish to the side. And so he's holding on to Derry. And it's just a standoff. You know, he's standing there in the window. The police, it looks like a SWAT team, are standing all around with their guns drawn. Um, and uh, Trish starts talking to this thing. You don't want him. Whatever you want, you can take it from me. 
You don't want Terry. No, you don't. Don't you? Don't you be a hero? I have everything the same inside you. Take me. But she seems to be pretty convincing, and it appears that the creeper, whatever it is, is listening and considering it. And again, it was just, you know, I thought it was set up so well because I didn't know what was going to happen. I legitimately thought maybe he's going to do it. Maybe he'll do the trade-off. Yeah, but again, this would be one of those moments where he's tricked into doing a trade-off, and during the trade-off, you know, they're able to get him somehow. uh, Right. But no, he, he just almost smiles for a second and turns around and dives out the window and flies away with Derry uh, in his arms. Mm-hmm. Again, totally. And it, it's a really cool image. You know, uh, Trish runs downstairs really fast, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> um, and uh, runs out the front door and is kind of chasing after. And it's just really kind of a cool image. You know, it's a full moon, and you just kind of see the silhouette of this giant bat-like creature um, with with the silhouette of Derry dangling below and it, you know, Trish is chasing and yelling Derry's name and then it's just gone. You know, it, it, it flies off and it's, it's gone. Um, and then we cut to what is the next morning? You know, Trish is still there at the police station alone. Um, well, I mean, the cops are there. Um, and the, uh, psychic lady comes in and says, your parents just got here. And Trish says, Derry had asked at one point, do your dreams always come true? And, um, so Trish says, you never answered him, you know, do your dreams always come true? And, uh, the psychic lady just says, I'm just a crazy old lady, you know, ask anybody around here. They'll tell you, I'm just a crazy old lady. Don't listen to anything I say. Um, and Trish walks outside and kind of looks up and sees a crow flying around. There had been lots of crows, uh, at uh, that old church, um, where he had had all his bodies. Um, and, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. And then we just cut to this, uh, what seems to be like an old abandoned factory or plant or something. Yeah, it looks to me like an oil refinery. Camera pans through slowly, and we're obviously going down into this creature's new lair. And uh, we pan slowly into this room, and we do see the creature in there, and he's working. And slowly coming into audible focus in the background is that song Jeepers Creepers that we've been waiting for where we know this guy's in trouble and it pans around and it pans up this body that's kind of propped up and we realize it's Justin I'm sorry Derry and uh, as it pans slowly up and to his face his eyes are completely gone and it's not just like his eyes have been gouged out but it's like his the whole backside of his head has been removed so uh-huh. it's just his face with his open eyes there shining through and uh at that moment the monster kind of comes up behind there and his eyes are in the eye holes and you can see that now he has Derry's eyes and, that's and it's creepy, and that's and it just cuts to black. And uh, it, I, I love that last image. I mean, it's grotesque, it, it's gory. Um, but when you know the the creature pops up, and um, you know it's it's just this blue human looking eye, you, you definitely get the implication that it's it's Derry's eyes. Um, in fact, um, the actor who plays uh, the the creeper, his name's Jonathan Breck. Um, that wasn't even really him. They put. Um, they put uh, Justin Long in the creeper makeup just for that last scene um, so that it would really be his eye that, uh, that looked through. Uh, and, and then that's it. I mean, if you want to stick around through all the credits uh, at the very end, after the credits, you see the, uh, the creeper's van <clears throat> drive across the screen and honk again, I guess, um, implying that he's still uh, running around. Um, but uh, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. So what'd you think? I liked it. I really did. And I just liked it that it just subverted my expectations every step of the way. And it was wholly original. I mean, I really just have not seen a horror movie like this um, that's just so bold and, and also a little weird. I mean, it, arguably the idea of introducing the psychic uh, to kind of move the plot along and kind of give them information that they wouldn't normally have is a little silly. Uh, that was mm-hmm. maybe the only part of the film that kind of threw it for me a little bit. Uh, is that the one thing that felt a little out of place and maybe a little hokey and maybe a little lazy? Sure. That, sure. But, but, and, but of course, it adds the mystery, but there's so many mysteries in this movie. There's so many things that you just don't ever know. Like, what's the significance of this song? Why is this guy playing this song 
while he's except that oh you know the movie's called Jeepers Creepers the line is Jeepers Creepers where'd you get those eyes and of course right, you know, right. that tag at the end of him getting his eyes um, but it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, unless this monster has a sick sense of humor and really knows uh, classic American songs really well or something and right. they, I, I, I almost wanted to do the math and go back another 23 years from there and maybe 23 years prior to 1978 that was a popular song so maybe the last time he was out right. moving around he'd heard it uh, and right you know it, it, but again there that goes unexplained um, where he's from and what his nature is is totally unexplained is he like a demon from hell is he an alien is he just something natural that's that's you know kind of long gone um, that's never really explained doesn't really need to be but it does right. leave it ripe for a sequel and uh, i guess it did get a sequel have you seen the sequel it did I have, and there are actually people, uh, quite a few people, really, who think that the sequel is actually a better movie. Um, I don't know if I would go that far, uh, but as far as sequels are concerned, especially with horror sequels, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Um, but this sequel uh, is actually pretty good. Um, it picks up the very next day. Um, when Victor Salva did this movie, um, he didn't plan to do a sequel, but the first one was successful enough that the studio wanted a sequel, and he said, fine. I'll do a sequel, but the only way that I'll do it is if it's set during the same time period, it's the next day, right after the events of the first one have happened, and it's the 23rd day of this spree. What he was thinking was, if <clears throat> if I do that, okay, we can have that one more movie, but unless then they want to you know, project 23 years into the future, um, there wouldn't be any logical way to do uh, another direct sequel. Um, but I think the second one is actually pretty good. <clears throat> um, you do get a little bit more backstory uh, on the creature. Not a lot, but a little bit more. Um, and uh, it seems like because they don't have to shroud the, the creature in mystery, which it works so well in the, in the first movie, but it wouldn't work in the second movie because we already know what it is. Um, so there, I, I think that the, the actor uh, who plays the creeper gets to have a little bit more fun um, in the second one. You know, there's more close-up shots of him. You kind of do seem to get the sense that he does have kind of a sadistic sense of humor. Um, and uh, it introduces some new characters. Um, the only returning character uh, in the sequel uh, that I remember is the Creeper himself. Um, but they are actually, and, and like I said, I liked it. I remember I, when it came out, I liked it enough that I bought it. I've got it somewhere. Um, but there's been a lot of demand. Oh, the one thing that I didn't like about the sequel is that the truck isn't in it at all. And I think that the truck is so menacing. Um, and other, uh, other fans have said the same thing. So now it's been gestating forever. Um, but supposedly Jeepers Creepers 3 is in pre-production. And it's, it's been, you know, like 16, 17 years since the uh, first one. So they, in fact, are going to have it be, or at least... This is the plan as it stands now, or at least last that I've heard. It's going to be 23 years later, and we're going to return to the character of Trish, who is going to be played by the same actress, and she's going to be a successful adult now with a teenage son of her own. Um, but she keeps having these nightmares uh, that her son will meet the same fate that her brother did. And so she hooks up with one of the characters from the sequel to try to hunt down the creeper and, and stop it uh, once and for all. And I hope the movie gets made. Uh, it's tentatively titled um, Jeepers Creepers 3. Um, it's been, like I said, it's been for a few years. It's been announced. You know, it's got it's, it's got an IMDb page. It says it's in pre-production. Um, it, 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 you know, there's there's some backlash uh, in the horror community and just in general still against Victor Salva because of his um, CD past. You know, there are people out there who. Uh, because of his conviction, you know, on, on child molestation charges, there are some people who feel very firmly that uh, he shouldn't be supported um, in any way. I have really mixed feelings about it. You know, the guy was caught. He did his time. Um, that doesn't excuse anything. Um, and I, I don't think anyone should ever forget that. But, you know, he paid his dues. Um, he is a talented guy. Um, so if, if he can get the studio to back him, I, I hope that uh, we get uh, a third entry in this franchise. I think you'd like the sequel. You should check it out. 
Yeah, I think I will, actually. I'm very interested to see where he takes this on the next day. <laughs> it, it's and, it, and, you know, it has a great ending. I love it when horror films, uh, it's not positive. <laughs> you know, right. It's dreary. It, it's dreary, and uh, that, that sometimes works, and sometimes it seems like a cop-out. In this case, it seemed like it was the only way that this movie could have ended, because this monster is so menacing, which makes it a pretty iconic figure. And if he does get a third one made... Uh, you know, it could be one of those characters that uh, kind of cemented into the Halloween uh, right. ouvre, you know, with Freddy and, and right. Jason and all that. Although it's a little harder to dress up as the Creeper, I'd have to say. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for introducing this to me. It was a good movie. And no problem. I'm glad do, you liked it. I do recommend it, especially if you're looking for something a little different. All right, well, thank you again for another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can like us on Facebook. We have a page there. We're available on Stitcher and in iTunes. Please share this with a friend. And please drop us a comment in one of these places to let us know what you think and if there are any movies coming up that you'd like us to, to review. Until then, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. <laughs>